Judith Skillman is a resident writer in the 2008 Jack Straw Writers Program. In this podcast, you'll hear selections from her interview with program curator Judith Roche. I have wondered, reading your poems in the past, and this is years past, before this rereading of your poems, if you have a background in biology. My poems are rooted in the natural world, I believe, more as a result of my background through osmosis in physics and in astronomy. I am the black sheep of a family of physicists, astronomers, and mathematics. My observation of the natural world began very early when my dad would wake us up to look at meteor showers Mm. in the middle of the night. Not sure it was very good for going to school the next day, but we got to see comets, we got to see lunar eclipses, and he later had an observatory, so astronomy was a huge part of my life. You have to write about what you know in the way that you want to write it. Authentically, or it's not going to be of any use to anyone. Yeah. I, I really love the feeling of best of just writing and not knowing where I'm going at all. I do too. To me, the excitement where you get to see a tip of an iceberg and be in on that and then start to learn and delve and go lower and deeper and layer down. Mm-hmm. So that's where the excitement is for me. Mm-hmm. But it can be a criticism as well. And I've, had, I've heard the criticism of my work that it's both confessional, rooted in the personal, and unintelligible. So uh-huh. there you go. Now you'll hear selections from Judith's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. I'm going to be reading some poems from the anthology, and they're also poems from my current manuscript titled The Never. The theme is loosely the loss of the pastoral, which also includes some poems about antiques, because when I go in, I never used to want to go into antique stores. They simply smell bad. But I've begun to venture in, and I have a prop tonight for the first poem that I'm going to read. This is a pie bird. Um, Long ago, when people made homemade pies, they put this in to allow the steam to escape from the homemade crust, and the pie would therefore not explode. So there is the pie bird, the last pie bird. A crusty fellow, ripe with juice and seeds, a bit of bling shoved beneath the crust, proof a secret prison might lie like a shunt to wick steam. The heat in its belly makes berries burst like bombs, the marion, the blue, the raspberry. Four and twenty blackbirds come from the essence of sugar. Narration killed the lyric, but the pie bird survived. Its neck stretches into the kitchen for air. Sing a bit, wee bird. We've forgotten what a trinket means. Teach us how to wrest sweetness from our days, When the second has been broken down to a millisecond, the particle arrayed as quark and halo, the genome come unbraided, and Dolly the sheep cloned. Pie bird, bard of Orpheus, the river's gone black and berry thick with hell and how to get there. The world can't bear to hear you sing the single note that clots bloody stains baked into this tablecloth, its blotch of history. What weighs the peonies down, pins them to the earth with a gesture akin to kneeling. 
It's the duty of the ants to besiege their double-headed blooms, to colonize each crinoline as it opens to light first and darkness after, to split hairs, to relish this wind combing and receding like a tide, to be bathed in dirt and find a little solace, to be anthropomorphized and not complain of stiffness in the joints. What weighs the peonies down is finally the scent of your lover come to you later than late, dressed in the scant covering of the self, laid open, as if to say any misgivings will have to be forgotten here in the hollow places of the earth where Eros paces and waits for desire to press against the skin of desire, that which flowers and flowering erases patterns left in the soil by a million inhabitants, each one swollen with hunger, inflated by dominion over the next and the least. My father used to take us to Beltsville Farm in Greenbelt, Maryland, where I grew up mostly, in Prince George's County. And he would always stand by the fence and call the pigs. And I thought, God, this is so embarrassing. Please, stop <laughs> calling the pigs. The scent's gone stale and the memories fetid, but he would stand until it became important that he be the only man to care for pigs mired in mud. Suey. Suey, 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 suey. One by one they'd come, furred and nimble, cloven hoofed. He had nothing to give them, so he pulled tendrils of grass up by the roots and fed it through the wire. Grasses were taken into snout and stomach and became more than the sum of a life surrounded by women who didn't understand why he stood most nights with his back to them, his hat askew in the light that spent itself in loss and gain. Mud dried on his work shoes and fell to the tiled floor when he walked into the house nights after calling the pigs. It was these small cakes of dirt mother swept with her broom, muttering under her breath, beads of sweat gathering on her forehead. Then he sat back in the armchair, satisfied that the pigs had come. The pigs had come to him. I have an apocalyptic poem, the end of the world and all that. The pale rider on his pale horse. I think we all think it might be happening. Or am I the only one? <laughs> Gas prices and... From the grasslands, we came to an ocean paved with clouds, entered the remains of a forest, found strands of green coiled around rock. The serpent lived here just as in the past. We walked lightly, our shoes stained with meadows. The quarter moon hung in daylight, iodine on a wound the sea-boiled carbon dioxide stew. Both manta ray and angelfish were gone. An oasis changed from blue to a shade we did not know. We stopped trying to drink bits of rainwater we'd collected on our tin roofs. Ducks swollen from disuse. 
Myths died and settled at our feet like elephant seals. Our clothes wore more deeply than our dreams. The sun came out of hiding to redden our skin. It was then that the world caught fire. I remember wearing a crinoline. Okay, raise your hand. How many people remember? <laughs> I can tell your age by that. <laughs> the crinolines. In cages readied beside water, in crab pots dropped from the rowboat, where an oar bleeds into an oar lock, from land and water they come, farthingale, petticoat, pannier. If it is difficult to hold the umbrella steady under rain, Think of the woman who enters the carriage as if she were the first one to wear the newfangled cloth of reform. She stands, feet planted beneath her shoulders, as if she were ready to take on the gods of satire in a heady wind. The crinolines are burning in lumber piled beside a well-stocked garage, in crinolettes and gadgetry of the last century, piled haphazardly one on the other, in cotton that smells of sweat and horses, in nylon bearing the stains of blood. The bride stands on her pedestal, wearing a bustle that has returned for its chance to bear the brunt of history. This is a poem I wrote after traveling through eastern Washington, which is just so beautiful. And I recommend it to anyone who's new to Seattle and thinks that Washington is full of rain and gray. And, you know, we actually have four seasons on the other side of the mountains. Wheatlands. To travel is to dream of wheat, passing over and under the drape and pleat of hill and valley, Darts taken in when floodwaters passed over the earth. To dream is to revel in scenery, to be nourished by land, its crop tarnished by harvest, like the stubble on a man's face that makes the face handsome to a woman. To sleep is to travel inside the germ and the chaff. To wake is to breathe a fine dust rising, bedeviled. To dream is to become the whirling dervish stuck inside the golden hen, that one who clucked at us about hysteria until the day she died. Our journey takes a year, a week, a day, or an hour. Roads the color of wood smoke cross fields. A water table lies 30 feet down under soil thicker than flourless cake. In drought, dun-colored pyramids grow from the mouths of machinery, Sun beats down on the Palouse. We come to savor this crop grown brighter than noon, poorer than dusk. A whole hell full of dollars gone blank as a page. We comb the fields with our eyes, picking out threads, choosing the nap and the grain. Prefer gold, the land says, and we do. And I'll end with the title poem of my current manuscript, which I dare not try to explain because I really don't understand it myself. The Never. They lie in separate rooms while the moon spills its light across naked limbs of trees. The fake owl poses in the yard next door, 
those yellow eyes she saw and thought it was a great horned owl. The never comes in spurts, like wings across the kitchen skylight cutting her off from him during the day. Never takes the form of snoring at night. It's not that never belongs to no one else. Practically anyone could be happy under the sentence of moon on gravel, moon on frost, moonlight on fake owl perched in willow. Perhaps the moon is birchwood, she thinks, and it was part of the never before this never. Maybe the wings are obsidian and covered the skylight when a piece of the Kuiper belt exploded above their house. Inside, she feels a bit like never. Likes the sound of mingling with folks that might live there. Likes the fake owl who never asks who. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2008 curator of this program is Judith Roche. Music performed by the Bird Tribe Orchestra and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Amy Brumhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>